0: Um, let me invite you to take your Bibles or your electronic devices and find your way to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and while you're finding your place, um, some of you might not know me, there's a lot of new faces in here, and I haven't been in here in a while. I'm, my name is TJ Kohler, I'm the executive pastor here. That means that I do everything that everybody else doesn't want to do, so for the first Well, for about the last three months, I've been down in the children's area working with them, I'm working with the students down on this end, and so uh, you'll probably more likely see me there than you you normally will see me in in here. Nonetheless, I'm grateful to be here and spend time with you this morning. I I graduated from the Citadel on the 10th of May, 1984, Um, seems like a lifetime ago, and um, when I graduated, the chaplain to the Corps of cadets, his name was Gordon uh, Guthrie. He, um, um, Navy guy, but nonetheless, um, when when I graduated, he gave every graduating senior a Bible. And this is mine. Um, came in a really nice box, and um, it really didn't register with me how important that gift was. Um, I grew up in a Catholic home, and so in Catholicism, um, you, you, don't, you don't do this. <laughs> I never had a Bible, I never read a Bible, I never held a Bible, until I got that one on the 10th of May, 1984, and um, I went right into the military. So for the next two years, it sat comfortably and safely within that box, that really nice box, and I kept it put away. And then I ended up at Barksdale Air Force Base in 1986, and I was flying B-52s there, and my precious wife's mother had come to visit, and she found a little non-denominational Christian church, Christview Christian Church, that was meeting in a middle school cafeteria. And so off we went. And I felt so out of place. I felt so awkward. You know, Catholicism and and what, what was happening there was just night and day to me. And I just felt like a fish out of water. And not only that, everybody was carrying these things around. And I'm like, oh. So I got my box out and opened it up, pulled out my trusty copy. Now I didn't feel so awkward. I didn't feel alienated. I didn't feel like, you know, I had a third eye in the middle of my forehead, Right? But that began a journey for me, and uh, on the 29th of May in 1986, I was sitting in a recliner um, at my my mother-in-law's house, and I was reading this. You know, in Catholicism, I, I, I learned a lot of things. I was an altar boy, an acolyte. And I, I knew that there was a God. I knew there was a Jesus. I didn't really understand that whole Holy Spirit thing. And, and some people call him the Holy Ghost. And that even kind of made me even more apprehensive. But I knew, I knew these things. But sitting there the 29th of May, 1986, I realized I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, he changed my life in that moment. But that journey began with this. I don't mean to disrespect it, I just don't have room for it up here, so please don't take offense. Um, my my task today is to speak into the issue of why the Bible, and um, it happens to be one of my top three things to talk about. I love talking about the Word, I love talking about discipleship, and I love um, talking about the church. But I'm going to focus my attentions this morning on 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to talk about the word the sovereignly inspired word of god so second timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 says this all scripture is given by the inspiration of god and it's profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work I want to break that down. I want us to look at three specific ways in which this Bible that God's given to us impacts our lives. And the first thing we have to do is we have to look at it as a source. And so I want to look at this and say, you know, God's given us the Bible by his sovereign inspiration. Sovereign inspiration. I'm using my words very particularly. So let's focus in on the inspiration. So he says there, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Now, some of your translations will say God breathed, and some of them will say breathed by God. The word in the Greek is theonoustos. It's a compound word in Greek, theos, theos, God, noustos, spirit, or breath. If you have a, uh, you might have a pneumatic wrench that you use for, you know, taking off lug nuts or something like that. Pneumatics comes from pneumatos. So it's God breathed. It's God inspired. And the inspiration of this is very important. It's important for us to understand that the the word, the Bible, is the perfect and undistorted reflection of its author. All right. The author of the Bible is is God. And much like a mirror, other than say at a carnival, the mirror reflects the person in front of the mirror. The painting reflects the, the intent of the artist. And so, too, God's word reflects his heart, his desires, his intentions to us. We use lots of good words about the Bible outside of even saying it's inspired. Being inspired means that the, that the word, though it came through the human, human agency, yes, men wrote out the scripture. The reality is, is that God's Holy Spirit inspired them to do that. So the Bible is not full of man's opinions. It's not full of man's ideas. It's not our biases. It's not our agenda. This is God's word that we have, that we hold. He's speaking directly to us, unadulterated, unfiltered through his word. Likewise, we would say that the Bible is, it's inerrant And inerrant means that the Bible is truthful and trustworthy in everything that it speaks to. Now, the Bible doesn't speak to everything in life, but whatever it does speak to, it speaks in truth and trustworthiness. And so you, unlike a lot of things in this world that you might pick up and read and wonder, is the author, is this, is is this really true? I mean, how many Facebook posts have you ever looked at and went back and you did some kind of a... You know, some kind of a check on it and went, man, that's, that's not even true. That, that, that never really even happened. But not with God's word. Everything that it speaks to, he speaks truthfully and tr- in a trustworthy manner. But it's infallible too. And that's really important. Because infallible means that it can't be broken. God's word can't be broken. He's not going to break his word towards you. All right? He means that it's, it's never going to fail unlike everything else in the world that fails, his word will never fail. It is timeless. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's living and active. It's it's It's, it's as much appropriate and effectual today as it As it was years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. It's timeless. It's active. It's working. It's infallible. It's the truth. It's the truth. We see that the word is the reflection of God. And God is reflected in his word. Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, to the Father, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So there's an abiding, there's a confluence, there's a relationship between God and his word, and it's a pattern for us, this idea of abiding. In John chapter 15, Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit on its own, neither can you. He says, so abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, to try to live life without the word is like throwing darts with a, with a blindfold on. But he's given us this, this word. He's called us into this abiding, and God, God has authored this. He's inspired this. But the second part of this is really, really important, and that is the issue of sovereignty. Sovereignty sovereignty we would say we are sovereign nation (laughs) whoop-de-doo what does that mean we we use the word in church all the time well he's a sovereign god and i just wonder sometimes i've been in this a long time i wonder um, if we really understand the word sovereign because see sovereign means unequaled first there's no equal to god or his word his word is, under 6, Nehemiah, he makes this statement in chapter 9. He says, you alone are the Lord. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all its hosts. The earth and everything out. The, y- y- the host of heaven worships you. You alone are the Lord. There's no equal to you. There's no challenge to you. There's nothing even remotely close to you. You are without equal. Guess what? Same with his word. Sovereign means to exist as the supreme power over things, the supreme power over things. I don't know about you, but as a student of the word, I'm very impressed when I read stories about how God opened a barren womb and made it fruitful, how he parted waters and allowed people to walk through on dry land, how he brought down walls around a a fortress with nothing but people and their voices and trumpets. But he says in Isaiah 55, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. There's power in his word. There's power that's not only communicated about what he does, but there's power in that word. He says, I can do that in you. God is the ultimate authority as the sovereign, the ultimate authority. There's a difference between power and authority. My dad would exercise power over me when he was bigger than me, right? When I got older, he exercised authority over me. He, God and his word are the ultimate authority. And that, by the way, applies in the civil area, areas of life. It applies in the church areas of life. In Romans chapter 13, it says, There is no authority except what is, comes from God. And all authority that exists, exists and is appointed by God. So, our elders are, exist and are appointed by God. Our pastors exist and are appointed by God. Our, our system of governance, those men from time past were anointed by God and appointed by God, not just by us. To give governance to us. And so we see that the Bible itself, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, his sovereign inspiration. But we also see in our text here where he goes on to say it's profitable, which means it's beneficial, it's useful, it's fitting. It's essential for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, God has given us his Bible so that we might know and accomplish his, his purpose. We, we have a purpose in life. And this is, this is an, an instrument for him to, to show us our purpose. Now, his word does a couple things in our lives. First off, his his word provides protection. Notice what he says there. It's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine doctrine is guardrails, guardrails for our lives. Laurie and I, we love the mountains. That's why we bought land in Tennessee and are getting ready to start building our retirement home up there. But one thing that really, it's funny that happens, it's funny for me, it's not funny for her, but my precious wife when we get into those mountain roads and up and down and the switchbacks left and right she will say this she'll say oh i'm not one with the mountain yet this while she's got a death grip on <laughs> the door handle and whatever else she can get her left hand on all right and she's really really nervous really nervous sheer cliff on one side sheer drop off on the other but every now and then there's a little bit of a sense of relief for her because there's a guardrail there and I'm like, what a novel idea. Why is not this whole road have a guardrail on it? But they put the guardrails up there where, where, because of weather or because of traffic coming the other direction or because you might be going too fast going down one of those switchbacks. They put that there thoughtfully to protect us, right? And somebody is so thoughtful, they anchor that thing way down deep, right? So if you happen to hit it, you don't just push it over. So God's Word is the same thing for us. It's guardrails in our lives, and sometimes we don't like the guardrails, but then nonetheless, those are intended for us to exist within so that we can thrive, so we can flourish, so we can grow vigorously in our relationship with Him. So, God's Word is sovereignly helps us to understand that He has protection for us, but He He also uses His Word to to help illuminate for us that, that he does, in fact, have a purpose. You have a purpose. You weren't created just to come into this world and to be here for a season and then be gone. You have a purpose. God created that for you. Now, not everybody understands their purpose. Truth be told, there's a lot of people who will live a good life. They'll, they'll, they'll have a, a satisfied life. They might even have a successful life. But here's a truth, that you can live that life, but one day stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords facing eternity and hear these words, depart from me for I never knew you. A successful, good, satisfying life, but not the life God purposed for you. John Piper wrote a book back in the early 2000s named, and the title is Don't Waste Your Life. And in that book, he articulates this idea. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. The idea there is, is I understand my purpose and that is what I've oriented my life to fulfill. But we need God's word for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, but the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discern things you see where the natural man is the unfilled man and the unfilled man doesn't have the secret decoder ring that is essential in our lives to understand as we read god's word what is he trying to tell me and he sent his holy spirit to do that that work but you have a purpose you have a purpose first corinthians chapter 6 verse 20 says this you were bought with a price." You see, a lot of people stop right there. Boom. Perfect. I was bought with a price. I got my get out of hell free card here. I can live however I want. That threshold's been meant. Good to go. No, 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 no. Time out. Finish the verse. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hmm. That's different. So not only is he telling me that he purchased me for my purpose, but he's illuminating it, that I'm to glorify him in my body and in my spirit, which are his. We have a purpose. We have a purpose, and he illuminates that through his word. Now, all this, he says, is profitable. But what it really is he saying is profitable, is beneficial. Well, he says, the process that I've given you to be able to live this life that's well-pleasing to me, that honors me, that glorifies me. And he says, I'm going to give you the instruction. So he says, it's profitable. So he says, I'm going to give you doctrine. And doctrine are those things that we believe. And I would suggest this, that it's not just about believing, it's about behaving. In other words, there's the word that we have that he's given us to believe, but there's the life we must live because we know those things. And that's to behave. So he says, I'm going to give you doctrine. I'm going to put some guardrails out there for you. I'm going to show you this. But you know what the reality is? He says, I know you, and I know what you're about, and I know know your propensities and your dispensations. So I'm going to have, yes, I'm going to have to reproof, and I'm going to have to use my word to bring reproof. And what that means is, is the Bible calls us out. When you read the word and you know you're doing something that's out of fellowship or it's inconsistent with his word, and you're reading it spirit on spirit, you get a check in your spirit like, hey, this isn't right. And you have a choice to make. You can either change what you're reading or you can change how you're believing and behaving, right? So he offers us reproof. Ah, that's not right. That's inconsistent. But God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us to to grieve or to, to wonder or to To be exasperated, he gives us correction, right? Correction, chastening is what is communicated in Hebrews 13. Chastening or correction. So he gives us this this correction, this help that we need in our lives. It's rescue. In Psalms 37, he says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, for he delights in his way. Notice this. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with a strong right hand. So we have the person who wants to live the life. They're asking God to order their their steps, and God is willing to order their steps, but they choose to step somewhere that they shouldn't. But God says, okay, I know you're going to fall when you do this. I know it's gonna happen. It's that parent that lets go of that child's hand. They're fighting to get their hand out of yours. You're fighting and fighting. And finally, you say, okay, I'm gonna let go. There's possible you're gonna fall, but don't don't fret. I will be here for you. I will always be here for you. And then he finishes this and he says, I gave you what's right. I gave you a way to know when it's wrong. I gave you a way to fix it. Now he says, I'm gonna give you a way to keep it right. And that's the instructions in righteousness. By the way, guys, this is, this is comparable to the Christmas Eve when you're sitting there putting that stuff together, and the first thing that you did was throw the instructions aside, and your wife's like, hey, don't you need those? No, nah, I got this, and you put it together, you take it apart, you put it together, you take it apart, and it's, it exasperates you, right? You feel like at the end of it, like, oh my gosh, why did this take so long? Yeah, it took so long because we threw the instructions away, but God says, I'm going to give you instructions for righteousness." It means that in that, I submit to needing the instructions, and I'm going to walk out what the instructions say. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So, we have a purpose. He's given this, this word, this inspired sovereign word to help us to fulfill that purpose, but he us that the word transforms us he says that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work so in my simple mind because i am probably the lowest common denominator in here i see complete as having all of the ingredients needed to make something right i'm not a cook if i you're ever invited to my house and i'm cooking you have other plans trust me but nonetheless Complete means I have the complete set of things that I need, but guess what I don't have? I don't have the instructions. I don't have the recipe. To be thoroughly equipped means I not only have the components, I have the recipe, I have the instructions in order for me to make whatever it is that God is, is asking me or, or I am I'm put my heart to, to making. So God's given us the Word so that we can use it as an instrument of this Transformation. Here's something we need to understand. Transformation doesn't mean making you a better you. It doesn't mean making you a better you. It means making you new. New. In 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me. Yeah, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 5 verse 17, he says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a Renewed creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become good. Is that what your translation says? Probably not. It should say, "If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new." If your Bible said the first one, get rid of it. Get a new one. All right. A new. A new creation. Not a not something made better. New. I was at a. Um, I spent a lot of my time in ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention, and I, in 2000, I was in Orlando. The Southern Baptists all get together in a location, and they have this ginormous business meeting, and in this, leading up to this business meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention had gotten very much moderate to moving towards the liberal side, and um, it wasn't uncommon at the seminaries to have keg parties and promiscuity and, you know, have professors screaming profanity, Um, you know, that's that's kind of where we got. But there was a group of men who were committed to this thing called the conservative resurgency, and so they put their heart in working towards elevating Scripture to become sola scriptura, the sole authority for faith and, and practice. And so it came to a showdown at the 2000 convention because that was wrapped up in a thing we called our doctrinal statement, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And so they, were, they opened it up before they voted and they had microphones in this monstrous convention center and people were lined up to ask questions of the people who were responsible for drafting this. And, it, and I'm sitting there and I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you, I was really bored until this one guy got up to the microphone and he said this, he goes, I just don't understand what the big deal is. It's just a book. It's just a book. Hmm. I don't know about you, but this is not just a book to me. This is this is God's means by which to communicate who He is to the world and what He's done. So that we could live out our fulfilled purpose. It's just a book. There are people who believe it's just a book. What's the big deal? A regular book, any other book, will not change your life. It will not transform your life. When we read Romans chapter 12, and he says, Therefore I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Okay. I need to do that. That's a good thing for me to do. How do I do that? And he says, well, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Transform. That word there, and you've probably heard this before, is the word metamorphosis in the Greek. It means to be radically changed. It means you're not the same thing you were once before. You were something completely new. In Romans chapter 6, it says, You were buried with Christ through baptism into death, that even as Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father, so even you also may be raised to walk in a newness of life. It's transformative. It changes us. We are not and cannot be the same. Everybody in this room needs rescue. And everybody in this room needs transformation. Whether you're, whether you're a Christ follower right now or whether you're, you haven't even begun the journey, we all need to be transformed. Our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, they need to be transformed. But in the heart, and as it relates to the wantonness of our will, he says this, there's none righteous, no, not one. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus has this to say about both of those. He says, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So in our current state, without his, without his transformation, his sovereign transformation, we, we will not pass through the fire. But he offers us this transformation and he shows us this transformation through his word that it by his perfect son in the gospel, we can have this new life in Christ. In Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is the gospel of Christ? It's a mystery, right? What is that? Well, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians, and he said, I delivered to you first that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. Isaiah in Isaiah 53 wrote, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. That we are like sheep. We've all gone astray, yet he's laid the iniquity of us all on his son. And that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. We can be rescued. We can experience this transformation. And it's a, it's a finished work. Jesus said on the cross, he said, i he said, it is finished. There's nothing else that can be done, nothing else that needs to be done when I transform you. It's sustainable. And then finally, he says, once you've experienced my transformation, go tell others about it. Go tell others about it. We, we weren't, this wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't a recommendation. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That wasn't a suggestion. It, was, it wasn't just encouragement. He was like, you, if, if, if you've experienced radical transformation, then carry on and carry it out to others. That's our responsibility. So I want to leave you with this question, has your life been radically transformed by the inspired word? Has your life been radically changed and transformed by the word, the sovereignly inspired word of God? Someone in here today, you might for the first time be asking this question, what about me? What happens to me? I've never taken this journey. I've never experienced that. I am that same creation. I don't understand what it means to be a new creation. What what do I need to do? I don't want that for my life. Well, guess what? Jesus did all of the work for us. God, before the foundation of the world, he established a plan of rescue for us through his son. He's the one who satisfied the sin debt. He's the one who was rejected, by His Father, so that you and I now can have fellowship with Him. So, if we confess Him, and we surrender to Him, and we invite His Holy Spirit to come into us and begin to indwell in us, guess what? You too can be this new creation. But you might be saying, well, you know what? I've already done that, TJ. I'm, you know, I've experienced that. Well, let me ask you this tough question. Are you coasting? Because it's really easy To get comfortable in our faith and coast. It's really easy to stop stop really engaging in God's Word. I had somebody one time at a church that I pastored walked up to me and said, hey, pastor, you ever seen a red Bible? And I'm like, huh, what? Red Bible? And they're like, here, this one is. And I'm like, oh, I get it now. I'm slow on the uptake, but I get it. I get it. I get it. Are we coasting? Because you probably need to repent like I do if that's where I'm at in time. But maybe today the decision is easy for you that you're like, well, I, I need a place to fellowship, and this is a good place to fellowship. Or I, I need to be obedient to God and, and come in alignment Him for baptized, believer's baptism. Maybe that's the decision. I'm not sure what you might have on your heart. But don't leave here with unresolved business. Let me encourage you. I'm going to pray worship team's going to come up we're going to sing and then we'll have the Lord's Supper and so if you're not making the decision then let me ask you and invite you to spend some time preparing your heart to take the Lord's Supper because we don't want to take it in an unworthy manner father I thank you for this time our time together I thank you for your more sure word I pray Lord that you will uh, move in this season of opportunity here and uh, I pray that your will will be done we love you Um, You're awesome, and we can't thank you enough for your more sure word. And we ask these things in Christ's name, amen.